Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we have used this interlude between Advent and Christmas and what will now next week be the start of Lent and our journey toward Easter to talk about some of these weird stories in the Bible. And today we're closing out this series on this strange story about a talking donkey. And you might be aware of it or you might not. This is not a story that is often preached upon. It's kind of a strange story, but it is intriguingly nestled in what is often considered some of the the oldest and most sacred parts of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and that is the Torah. But a lot of people, they read Genesis, they might make it through Exodus, and then a lot of people tap out at Leviticus, and they don't come back and pick up at Numbers. And so I wanted to make sure that we focus on this because today is a very important story. It's a story that is rather humiliating for Balaam, and it will be humiliating later for King Balak of Moab. And the donkey is kind of the savior. And as you saw with our gathering liturgy, donkeys play a huge part in our understanding of how God uses creation in tandem with God's will. So donkeys are a part of Palm Sunday. So before we get to Easter, we're going to see another donkey save the day. But in order to help you understand what's going on, I have a donkey assistant. So we will pretend that this is Balaam's donkey. And I, for the first time, get to play the angel. I'm very excited about this, although I don't have a flaming sword. I will remember this the next time I preach this. So the donkey is going to be part of God granting Balaam an experience. And oftentimes people can tell you things, right? People can tell you not to do things or this is how you should do it. But some of us are not very good auditory learners. Some of us need to see things. And more than that, a lot of us need to experience something for ourselves, you ever seen a kid where somebody says, don't touch it, it's hot. And what does the kid do? They touch it because there's something about experiential learning. And sometimes that is not a, as good a thing as we would like. But today, God is going to give Balaam an experience. And that's because Balaam carries tremendous power and authority. He's not a prophet like Moses or Elijah or Elisha, but he is a seer. He is someone who seems to be aware of the divine. He clearly knows who God is in our story, and he's kind of aware of God's workings, but he's not necessarily a believer of God, and he certainly doesn't seem to be fully dedicated to worshiping the same God of the Israelites. But here he is. He's been approached by the king of Moab through his officials. And I encourage you to go back and read the story. It's a fascinating little read, although there are some strange names in there. So Balaam is our seer for hire. He's willing, if somebody approaches him, to say, say, come and give us your blessing on our people or curse some other people so that we can be successful in battle or in negotiations or who knows what they want the blessing or the curse for. But he will do that. You can pay him and he will come and he will invoke some deity so that you can have a blessing or he can curse somebody for you. And that's what he does. That's how he makes his living. And he clearly does pretty well. Jesus didn't even have his own donkey, but Balaam does. And Balaam has two servants that are going with him. He's doing rather well in this entrepreneurial seer business he's got. And he's well known. 
So here we have the king of Moab. He's got a problem. There is this large group of roving persons known as Israelites, and they have had military success unprecedented. They were able to triumph over Egypt. They have just beaten the Amorites, and they are going to take on a number of nations and peoples and always succeed. So now here they are in the land of Moab, and if we were to back it up a little bit, what we would find is that when they arrive in Moab, the officials and the king in Moab are really worried. In fact, they're almost terrified. The sheer numbers of the Israelites, because they really took to heart that first commandment of being fruitful and multiply, and God has blessed them. So they have, their numbers swell. And when they get into the land, the leaders in Moab are worried. They actually said that these people, if they stay here, they might actually like take all of the nutrients and all of the food and all of the goodness out of the land. They're just going to consume the land and there will be nothing left. So we need to either get them out of here or we need to conquer them. So how do you get them out or how do you conquer them? How do you do that? Well, Moab feels like it's vastly out of its range here because they beat Egypt, who was the reigning superpower of the time. So how are they going to conquer the same people that managed to beat Egypt? Well, you and I, by virtue of the scriptures, would know that it wasn't actually the Israelites that conquered Egypt. It was God. God is able to do that. And so what the king, Balak, of Moab does is what is pretty common in that time. He looks for a way to curse the people. Perhaps I can give them some bad luck or I can curse them so that they won't succeed against us. And back in those days, you found a seer who would be willing to come and curse your people for you. And that's precisely what he's done. He actually has to do it twice. The first time he goes, uh, Balaam correctly says, well, I need to talk to this God and see if this is okay. And God's like, no, it's not okay. These are my people. And even though God has got God's own struggles with the Israelites, God isn't ready to have somebody else destroy them. So God says, no, you can't do this. And so Balaam says, I'm sorry, I can't do what you want me to do. And then King Balak says, well, let me send some more prestigious officials to him. Let me send him more gifts so that he might be wooed by my wealth to come and do what I want him to do. And that's where our story picks up today, that now they have come and they have said, you know, come and do this. And this time when, when Balaam reaches out to the Lord, the Lord says, fine, go, but you can only say what I tell you to say. You can't say anything else. You can't you know, water down what I tell you to say, and you can't kind of say what I want to say, and you can't be very political and strategic here. You have to just say what I tell you to say. But I really don't want you going at all, but let's see. So the next morning, Balaam, who needs to make a living, says, all right, let's go. Gets his donkey, gets his servants, heads out. But God is going to give Balaam an experience so that he won't get all up in himself and think that he's going to be able to do what he wants to do for profit or for privilege, and so that ultimately this time on the road will make such an impression that Balaam wouldn't dare think of betraying God with God's people. So he's on the donkey, and they're coming, and the angel stands in opposition with a flaming sword, which again, I don't have. But a flaming sword, I should have gotten the lighter for the accolade. That, ah, you think of these things now. Anyway, so he stands here in opposition, and the donkey, ironically, can see the angel, but the seer is blind. See the irony? The seer can't see, and the donkey's like, ooh, I, I 
angels are terrifying. Angels uh, have incredible power. Uh, one or two angels can destroy entire cities and beat entire armies. And the donkey's like, I know better than to mess with this angel, and veers off and goes into the field. And Balaam, who should be able to see, doesn't see the angel and gets angry and decides to take out his anger on the poor donkey. And he hits him, beats him. And then the donkey's like, okay, fine, back on the road. And a little further down, now there are walls because there are vineyards on either side of the road. And the donkey is like, okay, well, if I have to go by, I'm going to go real close to the wall and go around the angel. And that ends up scraping Balaam's foot against this wall. And if you've ever fallen and scraped yourself, you know that that is both painful, it's embarrassing, he's not happy about it. So what does he do? He, of course, beats the poor donkey again. And then we get to the third time. And the third time, there's nowhere to go. There's no getting around the angel this time. And the donkey is like, I give up and just lies down on the ground. And if you've ever ridden an animal that decided to lie down while you were on it, you know that that is not something that is done without a huge amount of embarrassment. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing and humiliating. And so this is it. Balaam is just so angry and livid with the donkey that he beats him yet again. And then God does something really interesting. God opens the mouth of the donkey. And instead of saying that God used God's voice to come out of the donkey, like God did in the burning bush that wasn't consumed with Moses, God just empowers the donkey to talk. Let the donkey give his own experience, his own testimony of what's going on. And the donkey calls Balaam into account. Am I not your donkey? Have you not ridden me for so long that I have always been faithful and true? Is this not out of character for me? Then why are you beating me? And of course, Balaam isn't like, why is my donkey suddenly talking? Or something is going on here and this is strange. He decides to be a petulant little child of a seer and go, no, you haven't done this before. And then the angel makes itself visible to Balaam. And then Balaam's like, oh, We've kind of stepped into something here. This is bigger than I thought it was. I thought this was just about me and my wayward donkey. But now I understand that there is something much more serious going on here. And he tries to back out of it. Look, I didn't know you were here. I'm sorry. I have sinned. Um, if going here is making you angry, then I will be more than happy to take my donkey and my servants and just go home and we'll just forget all about this. And Angel says, oh, no, 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 no. Now you know better. Now you know that we see you, even if you don't see us. And we are very aware of what you are doing. And you're really lucky that your donkey is so nice, or I would have killed you and let the donkey go. But instead, what Balaam learns is that there is no way that he is going to be able to hurt these people. These are God's people. And the Israelites are under God's protection. And even though he has power and authority to invoke deities and their blessings and their curses, God wants to use the experience with the donkey to show Balaam that God is present, God is very aware, and God has promised God's protection for God's people. And so they will be protected. It's really important. It's vital that he understand that, that nobody can buy God's blessing. Nobody can buy God's curse. Nobody can use earthly power and influence to bring God's wrath upon God's people. That is something that God controls, and no person has that control. You know, it's a very interesting society at the time that produces this text. 
You'll notice at no point in the story, if you continue reading, does King Balak go, you know what, if we just got rid of Moses, all of this would go away. It wasn't about trying to assassinate one person or trying to create a division through subterfuge, because it's about the people. Everywhere in this part of the world, they seem to recognize that it doesn't matter who's in charge. If you have the blessing of God, that somebody will rise up if you get rid of that person, if they die, if they fall sick, if some tragedy happens, that God will raise up a new leader and that you'll still have the same problem. It's the people. It's not a person. The problem is that God loves these people. God loves all of the Israelites, even when they're stiff-necked and they're hardened in their hearts and when they're difficult and complaining, which they are, it's the entire Torah, but God still loves them and is not going to let someone else hurt them. God is trying to lead these people through 40 years of wilderness wandering into the promised land, and nobody is going to get in the way of that. Nobody, not kings, not seers for profit, nobody. God's promise and covenant is true. And so Balaam has now learned this lesson. I encourage you to continue to read the story. It's not a big story, and you can read it. And then you get to see a really awesome hissy fit thrown by the king of Moab. It's pretty great. And the best part of it is that we have this story recorded for us. It's a weird story. It's a story that doesn't make Balaam look good. And so you have to wonder, who started telling that story? And maybe it was the servants, maybe the two servants who have been very quiet. And we're like, we need to figure out a better way to do this. Maybe we should go join these Israelites. Their God seems to be very present and on their side. But the story is recorded because it gives Balaam an experience by which he learns. And he has his act together by the time he arrives and stands in the presence of Balak, the king of the Moabites. And the, the sad tragedy is that the Moabites are genetically related to the Israelites. They share the same genetic ancestors, but because of their divergence and their changes in religion and culture and the way that they live their lives, they no longer see each other as family. And because of that, they're willing to annihilate one another. They're willing to start to see themselves as such separate, distinct people that they can't possibly share land and resources. They can't possibly reside in harmony and peace next to one another. And that is truly a tragedy. And remember that it's not God that said, hey, I hope Balak will try to destroy my people. That was his own fearful reaction to the unknown. He saw a people that he didn't understand, that he didn't consider to be his own. And his first reaction was to destroy, him, destroy them for his own self-preservation. These are themes that continue throughout human history. But it's not about destroying. God's preference is that we establish relationship with one another and allow the experiences of being in right relationship transform how we relate, how we live together. At no point does God encourage Balaam to go out and make sure that the Israelites will destroy Moab. That wasn't the plan. But instead, this is where humankind and human sinfulness are very present. And while God didn't initiate the human sin from King Balak, and God didn't initiate the human sin from Balaam wanting to make some money off of this, God did decide to take what they had created and bring forth a redemptive experience to declare, not just to Balaam, 
but to all people who ever have any contact with this story in the Bible, that God is very aware and protective of God's people. And sometimes throughout history, we have narrowed what that means. We thought, well, maybe it was only the ancient Israelites, or maybe it was only their spiritual descendants, the Jews, or maybe it's only those of us who call ourselves Christians. But the truth is that God considers God's family much wider and bigger than that. And if you continue to read well beyond numbers, you will find that that is a theme throughout not just the Old Testament, but the New, that all people are known and precious, beloved to God, and that we are the ones that choose to create distinctions. We are the ones who choose to embrace annihilation, violence, and hatred as an option for dealing with one another rather than following our allegiance to our Prince of Peace. And so as we're getting ready to transition into the time when we are encouraged and invited and empowered to do some introspection, not just on ourselves as individual disciples like you and I, but as the body of Christ, as people who have other affiliations and allegiances in this world, it is our time to look at this lesson and see what can we learn about how to deal with other people. It's a wonderful reminder that justice isn't something that God talks about in esoteric words. Justice isn't something that we expect others to do. To quote the prophet, justice is something that we do. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice. And that begins with how we look at another person. What we choose to see. Do we look for those opportunities when God makes God's self known to us, like the angel standing before the donkey? Or do we choose not to see, not to hear, and to pretend like we are completely ignorant to what God has stipulated for us as those who have been adopted into God's family by the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ? We have this opportunity coming toward Easter to truly change how we look at other people, how we talk and act towards others will never change if we don't change how we think about them and how we feel about them in our hearts. You know, the one thing that's missing from this story that I mourn is that we don't have any reconciliation between Balaam and the donkey. It would serve him right if his donkey was like, and I'm never carrying you anywhere again and you can walk home because you treated me badly. You beat me. You didn't even ask me what was going on or try to understand Instead, you lashed out and you hurt me, and I have been nothing but faithful to you. How many times have we been in a relationship with someone and we treated them more like the donkey? How many times have we failed to look at another human being created in the image of the divine, endowed with dignity, and promised the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we looked at them as less than, inferior to, and not worthy of our time, our attention, our blessing. And because we withheld those things, we implicitly cursed them. We are called to be a people who look for opportunities to bless. And not for our own profit like Balaam, but simply to give honor and glory to God. May that be where we are led as we enter into this season of Lent. A time that we know that on the other end of every Lent is Easter. 
It is a day when Christians all over the world will celebrate that death did not win. It did not have the final say. And that we already have a glimpse, an experience, that one day every tomb will be empty. Ours, our loved ones, our friends, all of those that will die in this life, their tombs, our tombs will one day be opened and we will enter into that celebration and that promised land known as the kingdom to come. That is the wonderful prophetic truth of every Lent that Easter is coming. But before we get there, we have a journey to make and grace to receive and grace to give. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.